once you're able to be rooted in that place, I think that's where that's where then you're allowed to your your kind of creative soul is allowed to pour. And I've met I meet too many artists who are like downtrodden and 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 just unhappy in what they're doing. And I think the moment you feel unhappy in the thing that you're doing, it means that you should be doing something else. And so what I've learned is that I spent so long trying to get to this place, like all I can give out now is kind of joy and 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 passion. Hello everyone and welcome to Chai with Rai. Hi, I'm your host Rai and each week I bring you a guest from the creative industry and we discuss all things life and culture all while sipping and sipping some hot chai. Now if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible or wherever you stream your podcast from, if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast and share it on your stories on social and spread the word. It organically grows the show and connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and overall just shares the love. So without further ado, let's warm up our cuppers and let's dive into today's episode with the one and only writer and actor Kamal Khan. In five seconds, list three things you must do before you go to sleep. Go. Put on my facial serum, brush my teeth and put my pajamas on. Good, good, good. I did. I do have a question, by the way, in here about your skincare routine, because all of the pictures I've seen and the one time I've met you in person, your skin is just glowy, glowy, no pores, no spots. I've got spots right now. And I'm just like, how? How do you survive? So we're going to talk about skincare as well. Oh, absolutely. It's one of my favorite things in life. <laughs> oh, I'm like really into Korean skincare, like I have been for the last two years. So like I'm inquisitive about things. All right. This is going to be your first proper question, which I'm going to try and throw you off and also show that I did do some homework on you. So when talking about your work, you talk about how you're so passionate about Bradford and being Bengali. And in doing my research, I found two things that I wanted to share with you. One is a quote from, I believe it is The Telegraph in August. And you talk about this, and I'm going to quote you. It was an absolute honor to be able to share this story. All my work is centered around Bradford. Being Bradford-based writer and having been born here, I have so much love for the city. There are so many wonderful stories I am itching to write about the place I call home. Being a British-born Bengali origin, it was wonderful to write about the story that is close to my personal experience and heart. And then I listened to your podcast, which is The New York Bengalis, and you elaborate on this. And I just quickly listened and I was like, whoa, 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 what is this? You compare Bradford to New York and London, but you elaborate on that, that it is because of the textile industry and the artists such as David Hockney. So in three seconds, you're running for MP of Bradford. What are the three things that you're going to stand on? Go. Art. Culture. I kind of gave you a little bit more. Art, culture and food. By 2025, you'll basically achieve what Bradford is trying to set. Yes, I'm going to make sure everyone is well-dressed. Well-cultured yeah. and well-fed. Well, <laughs> by the way, I must say, you're painting Bradford to be this exotic space that I have been to, and I have reservations about this. Well, where in Bradford have you been to? Well, just near the station, to be honest with you, because I only That's come... That's the worst here. place in Bradford to visit. <laughs> okay, I'll come next time. You can show me your ends. I've been to a couple of mosques there, but yeah, it's, it's a very, like... I was like, it's a very rough ends. I don't know what you're talking about, but we'll talk about that. Second question. In more research about you, you discuss of your entry point into the entertainment industry, your passion of acting, beginning with the nativity play that you did. And then you also go on to say that how it took 24 years for your parents to see anything. And if I'm correct in saying, was it the chef show that your mother watched for the first time? That's right. Yes. 
Great. So with that in mind, list three Bengali dishes your mother cooks that you cannot live without. Go. Maspiran, Fulab, Patpiran. Yay! Four seconds, you got there. You're the quickest one right now. You're beating everybody's record. Good. Do we need a translation for what those things are? Oh yeah, go for it. I'm just assuming that the brownies that listen, they'll know what they are, but go for it. So maspiran is just fried fish with onions. Um, as I said, maspiran, patpiran, which is egg fried rice. I thought it was aubergine for some weird reason. Because translation for me, like it goes into other things. I thought it was aubergine. Okay, fair enough. I can't remember what the other thing I said. Maspiran, patpiran. Well, just name on one thing that you cannot live without your mother's cooking. What did I say? <laughs> I can't remember right now. Anyway, we'll move on. Unless you want to name anyway, it. I'm sure they'll know. <laughs> they'll know. All right. In a quote to Desi Bliss when discussing your work and your dad, um, am I correct in saying that he started in the textile industry, right? Or he did, yes. He did. Fascinating. So much I learned through you about the textile industry. You say, before the days of television, we loved listening to my father's tell stories. Is it kitchas? That's right, yeah. Kitchas, as we used to call them. With that in mind, list three of your plays or the works that you have done that you would like to change the ending to now. Go. Breaking up with Bradford. <laughs> I failed. I failed. There's so many. <laughs> Would you actually like to change the ending of your work? Or like you're like, nope, they're done. They're capsuled. No, because Breaking Up with Bradford was written uh with a happy ending, but uh-huh. in real life it was a it was a it wasn't a happy ending. So I thought if in fiction I wrote a happy ending, then in real life it might kind of reauthor the real life story, but that never happened. Real life never, no, not well like that. It don't work like <laughs> that. It's a lot more depressing like that. Is there any other work that you would like to explore the ending of or like reject, do you think? Um, I did an adaptation of Antigone um, and it was called Alia after Antigone. And in that, what I intentionally did, because it's a Greek tragedy. And so in the end of that, you know, everyone pretty much dies except for the king. But what I did was that I gave Antigone a happy ending, which actually looking back, I wasn't quite sure whether that was the right thing to do because it kind of broke the bones of what a tragedy should do. Mm. And I thought kind of what are the contemporary, what's the contemporary relevance of a tragedy we all know bad things happen if you do bad things. Yeah. Um, whereas with like a modern reading of a tragedy, it's like, okay, we understand life is more complex than, you know, a bad action equals a bad result. So yeah, it probably would have been more ambiguous rather than happy. Mm-hmm. How may, how long was it? And do you, do you actually know we're going to talk about your writing process? Because I was going to ask you the act structure and everything if you followed Greek tragedies. I'll come on to that. All right, one last question and then we're going to get into depths of conversation. You are one of 10 siblings. And again, if I'm correct in saying you're the first one in the family to be born in the UK. That's right. All right. I'm, I'm going to give you a little bit more time and I'm going to try and get you in trouble. Let's put 10 seconds on the clock. I'm going to break a rule. Okay. Rank your siblings in order of most gossipy to least gossipy or most trustworthy to least trustworthy. So I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Which one do you want to do? Most gossipy or trust? Hang on, that's like one sibling per second. I know. So you got 10, <laughs> 10 so you got to go fast. But which one would you want to do? Trustworthy or gossipy? Let's do trustworthy. Okay. So in 10 seconds, you got 10 siblings, including you. Okay. From top, from number one being the most and number 10 being the least. You ready? Should I give you a little bit of a warm-up or you you got this? You got this. I'm Let's... just trying to remember their names first. Before. <laughs> right, okay. All right. Okay. In five, four, three, two, go. Me. 
Zainab, Sahina, Runa, Shahida, Dali, Rukon, Saeed. Ah, ah, cool, you got two more. No, but I've lost, uh, I've lost my siblings. I've, I've, got, I've got eight. I've missed two out. I think I've missed two out. Oh, God. We'll just conjoin them together as the least <laughs> ones. Well, now the games are done, so you can relax. You can breathe. You can breathe. Do you ever forget everybody's name? Has that ever happened? Or this is like a circumstantial thing? No, well, what it is, because some of them have two names. Oh. So they've got their, like, the name that we call them, and then they've got their official name. So I was trying to work out which name I was going to use. Got it, got it. Where do you sit, by the way, within the 10 siblings? I'm eight. Wow. No, seven, seven, seven. Because I was going to say, if you're the youngest, usually it's the young children, because you were mentioning on one of the podcasts, you were like, I'm the brown sheep of the family because I'm the only one in the arts and who works in the care service. And I was like, it's usually the young people that rebel. It's always usually the young people or the firstborn. Yeah, I think it's a general, I mean, it's taken this long, as in like, you know, 20, 30 years for us to kind of establish ourselves in this country and then reforge a new identity. So I think, yeah, it's getting better. Yeah. <laughs> how are you feeling in regards to the flu? How's the family doing? And yeah, how's your week been? We've just had a big fat Bengali wedding. Which I'm wanting uh, to see pictures of, by the way. Oh, definitely. You'll get pictures. Because um, he said been... outfits. <laughs> Do you know what? Weddings are all about the outfits. But yeah. with this one, my brother, he's, he's quite he's quite low-key. Um, so he went for a really low-key outfit. And therefore, we kind of then upped the volume a bit. So all of okay. our sisters were like in gold and blue. And then oh. we were in like gold and gold and gold. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, it was really lovely, actually, because he he's one of those guys. He's younger than me. And he decided that he finally wanted to get married. But, you know, it was, so we did kind of, we did the kind of Mindy and the... And they do, they do, do you know what? I never realised there's so many bonkers ceremonies that go with the Bengali wedding because we've not had one in a while. Yeah. So, so they do these random things called like, um, you know, the, the palm that you eat, that, that you chew. Yeah, there's like a whole evening where like you cut the pan and cut cut that and you create like these big platters of it to give to the other, to the to the bride side. Uh, and that's a whole evening of like pan cutting and or gua cutting, it's called, and, and singing. And okay. then there's the, there's the mendi, which is like quite traditional. With, uh, yeah. Um, but we didn't really do mendi because he didn't, he didn't wear it. Um, and then you have the wedding day. And then usually after you have a walima, but then we kind of conjoin the two things together. And then bizarrely, after the wedding, there's a thing called fish cutting, where the husband brings the wife a massive fish. And then she sits down, she cuts it. That he's captured? Or that, like, it's just from, like, the local shops or something. But, like, when I say big fish, I'm literally, like, you know, the size of me. Yeah. The size of the fish that you get. Um, and, and then she gets it. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> also, I'm so surprised. Bizarre. Can I just say I'm surprised you're not on Instagram? Because I love your Twitter. But, like, with the outfits and the glamour that you have, you would you would kill it. Do you know what? I, I'm really weirdly anti-Insta. And I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. And I think there's, there's certain things that the the like I like to keep private, and they're yeah. the things I like to share with it, you know, to friends. Uh, and there's certain things that like work related that kind of make sense to go on on Twitter. But I think with Instagram, you have to kind of bear all. And I'm like, hmm, there's really. a part of me I like to keep secret. No, you could have a private account, and you just have like who is it? Dan Danika Gupta. She has a private account, and she only lets like a couple people in. And predominantly, her stuff is like very like either work related or like family orientated. I think I've I've missed the boat now. <laughs> no, I don't think you have. I feel like you should, and I I would want 
you to very badly because I think people should see. And also it's it's a way to like gauge certain things that I think you can't do on like certain features on Twitter. Yeah. And so. you know, the funny thing is I've actually hashtagged myself. Um, I do have like quite a few posts on Instagram that other people have tagged me into. Oh, yes, they they have. I saw some stuff. Yes. Because when really? your work is digitized, like promotionally you know it becomes that is there anything before we wrap up the wedding thing that you are like really look like i in punjabi weddings we have this thing called jago which i love that that is the one thing that i like live for at weddings is there one thing in like bengali weddings that is specific to bengali culture that you're like i want to know what the jago is what's that but jago is basically um a thing which is like to awaken like your town people and let them know like wake up jago means like wake up that there's a wedding happening so there's like a matka thing that is passed from like aunties to aunties and everybody dances and there's like a bolia that happens um and everybody dances around and like plays doll if you want to and it's literally just that it's celebrating the fact that wake up everybody let's celebrate that a wedding is happening ah one of my favorite things and I'm not quite sure whether they do it in other cultures. They do the gate. So it's when the groom arrives into uh, like oh. the venue and then you have to give money and then you get sprayed to hell and with, with like confetti and silly strings and smoke flares and everything. Oh, that's added. I know there's a money thing. And I know you uh, like there's the jute, like the shoes that happen. Do y'all do the <laughs> shoes or not really? We don't do we used to, we don't do the shoe, but we do the the mala the, the oh, mala. oh in Pakistan like now the malas are made out of notes like yeah. and I'm just like afterwards just right making it rain making it rain all right let's talk about your work and let's get into that I was surprised in regards to not surprising in the world overwhelmed is the word with a lot of work that you have done and might I just say the way you speak I've met people from Bradford it's very eloquent I'm not stereotyping I don't know if it's the Cambridge thing or all of the masters and the work that you have done but you have a very eloquent way of speaking and kind of like creating dare I say architecture of vocabulary that can be used oh gorgeous put that on the trip advisor review about <laughs> me <laughs> But what I was interested to know, because you've done adaptations and you've done work which is very much rooted um, from your personal experiences, whether it's the culture or whether that is of your experiences of living in Bradford. And I asked this of writers and people who direct, which is how do you balance your artistic voice, your artistic practice with, let's say, an unconscious conscious biasness of telling the story, safeguarding, but also wanting to push and calm the narrative. So like, let's say if innately you're, you're wanting to tell stories that are around your culture, around that, or tell heartful stories or tell tragedies, how do you challenge to maybe, I don't know, do a musical that is not in that because um, you also do script advising. So how do you balance all of these things? You know, me as a writer, it's like driving car with no brakes. So I'm kind of there and I'm writing and I'm steering this car and I don't know where it's going to go. And it doesn't have any brakes because if there were any brakes, then that would kind of like jar the creative process. And so what happens is that the kind of me and the work 
kind of all fused together and kind of heading in one direction, sometimes off the edge of a cliff, sometimes like to the moon. But whatever, that's the thrill that I get from being a writer is is the risk of knowing, not knowing where that story is going to go. And that's the reason why I kind of see myself more as, as an artist rather than a writer, whereby all the work that I've ever made, actually, ever since my first commission, has always been rooted in, in, in a personal question or a personal experience. And I think that's 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 my kind of USB as a as a writer uh, for it to be, always be connected, and that's that's why that's where the thrill comes from, mm. in knowing where those boundaries might go, where they might not go, or you know where those things kind of blur together. Do you? Um, ever so I find feel, it really exciting doing that. Do you ever feel? Um, I've recently gotten out of the victimized situation, which is twofolded. One is being told that you're an emerging artist, regardless of how long you've worked in the industry and what faction of the industry that you're going into and then also being boxed because you also did acting being boxed or stereotyped or niched as a specific thing when not wanting to be that do you have those conversations or you're there are lots of people that I meet that are not adhering to that and I'm just like how do you how do you function around that you know it was actually so I worked as a I still work as an actor now and then but when I started off as an actor I found it very much that especially at the time you know 2010 where there weren't that many South Asian actors and not many interesting roles whereby I'd say 90% of the roles I went up for were you know your usual terrorist you know on a killing all of those kind of things and it made me really upset because I was like no as a British born artist is there's so much more I have to offer and how can I how can I make sure that whatever I go into next doesn't fall into that trap it doesn't it doesn't allow me to fall into that trap and so I kind of took the kind of uh, Lady Gaga example whereby she reinvents herself every time she makes a new album yeah and I'm like oh, I'd like to say that's not just Lady Gaga I just want to point that out I don't no, no, I know it's not just Lady Gaga but she's a really good example yeah. of being able to reinvent yourself and then people aren't able to put you in a box mm. whether it's country classical pop like trance I'm like ah oh, that's how you do it so every time I make a new piece of work I make sure that it doesn't fall into a pattern whereby someone can then therefore say oh, you're just a writer who writes like that? I'm like, ah, okay. And it has kind of worked so far. It does make it difficult to commission because you're not quite sure, you know, it might be a bit of a risk. But the good thing is that I've got the experience now in working in loads of different genres that actually the risk isn't so, it's not so much of a risk now uh, mm-hmm. for, for the commissioner or for, for, or for myself. Got it. Taking the two hats that I know of you, which is a writer and an actor, how do you approach language? And when looking at, let's say, a script, be it from the, when you're writing, do you create the world outside and then work on characters? Do you like write? Do you unit as an actor? How do you um, function both of them separately? And do they ever go into one another? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's strange, actually, the writing process, because the writing process for me is is is, is closer to my background in architecture. So I studied, I did three years, uh, and, I, and I, I did a BA in architecture first before I even became an actor or a writer. And that was very much about looking at the mechanics mm. of what makes a building. So you've got the structure, you've got the you've got the, the kind of scientific, you've got the environmental factors, uh, you've got the aesthetic factors that, that make up a building. And so I kind of I, I use a similar kind of uh, system when I'm when I'm writing in that I begin with what makes the foundation of that world, and then and then then you have the theme, and then you have the characters, and then right at the very end is the dialogue. So I spend much of my writing process actually working out the structure um, and the form, um, and that's usually about eighty percent of the writing process. 
process. And then I say 20% of the writing process is just the dialogue. And then you've got the whole redrafting process, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> an external of that. But just in the, in, in the making of the work, I kind of take quite a scientific, not quite scientific, but like quite an architectural yeah. uh, approach to it. It's quite methodical, the way that you're describing it. Do you know what? It really helps because like at the moment, I've got four different commissions. And if I was to just kind of spend my time... You better show of off. You better show off that you got four commissions. <laughs> no, 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 no. But if I was just to spend my time kind of meandering and kind of feeling my way through these characters in the world, like you don't have enough time. You've got to remember that sometimes it's just a job yeah. um, and you have to understand like what are the mechanics that can help you to get from like the treatment to the final draft. Mm. And it's about putting those things in place that will allow you just to write draft after draft and get the job done. Um, so, yeah. How much do you think you've changed from like, let's say, is it 2012 that you wrote and it all comes down to your work? Like, was it Hood Kiss, Hod Kiss Awards that you did the Royal Exchange Theatre Project? Uh -huh. like, how much has your evolution come about? from that like from writing like let's say log lines to pitching to like doing treatments and things like that so i'm gonna use a lady gaga example again oh you know, no when she, did, when she did poker face <laughs> and the lyric was just po -po 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 poker face and it was as simplistic and as like as and as easy as that at the beginning and now you know her lyrics are like these kind of like um existential uh, meditations on life and death and i and I, and it is kind of that i can definitely see how my process and product has evolved over yeah. like the past 10 years and it's really you know if i was still kind of writing the equivalent of poker face then and then I I wouldn't be where I am now but like by taking those risks in in kind of the different types of genres that I've worked in has really allowed me to kind of find my voice and also the form um and also the, the thing that really excites me as well um let's talk about Lady Gaga since you've mentioned her what is your fascination with her and when did it begin okay so I'll tell you when and why mine uh, has I mean... ended with the art pop album because she made quite weird tracks on there that I was just I could not agree with art pop was a bit of a, a faux pas I think for her but so back in 2008 uh sorry back in 2009 I auditioned for Big Brother. And oh, you did No, I absolutely did. I was obsessed with Big Brother, and I was obsessed with Big Brother for like the nine years when it since it came out. How would you have family reacted to the fact that you're going on there? Well, let let, let me finish the story. So the process takes about six months, and it was in my final year year at university. And throughout that process, you have to like see a psychologist, psychiatrist. You have to sign something called a document of doom. Yeah, yeah. Um, whereby it basically said it's going to ruin your life. And I remember once, so one of the one of the meetings I had to turn up and find someone with a red umbrella outside of prep and then um, they kind of led me to a hotel um, and so they kind of led into the hotel and then I hadn't heard of Lady Gaga at that point but like on mute was Poker Face in the hotel room. Got it. It's like, what on earth is this song? All I can see is this woman's like mouth just going like, pa, 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 pa. I was like, this is the worst song ever and the worst video ever. And this is like the most bizarre situation that I'm in right now in my life where I've like followed this man with a red umbrella into this hotel room. It's and, like, a very hookup. Can I just say, this is a very hookup story right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where it began. So like, it always reminds me of like taking risks, Lady Gaga. And like ending up in a hotel room auditioning for Big Brother. So I basically, I'd got through to the final round of contestants and I was about to go into hiding and they send you to like the north of France or somewhere remote for two weeks before you go into the show. And at that point, I was like, look, I really can't do this because my university won't let me graduate if I go into Big Brother. Uh... Um, and also I had my final exams. I, 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 it wasn't entirely the truth. I mean, they, they probably would have let me go to, to Big Brother, but I would have missed my exams, which would have meant that I would have had to retake my year. But they said to me, we'd be more than happy to take 
take you on next year and next year would be the final year of big brother on channel four and I was like, imagine if you went to big brother would you be doing the things that you're doing right now you wouldn't though you absolutely wouldn't um and it's part of the reason why like because when i when i went on to um to see the psychiatrist or something i remember him giving the example of like he it was back in the days when you could still smoke in buildings and yeah. and we were having a cigarette in the hotel room and he was like here's a box of cigarettes this is what ant and deck hold like as the most precious thing in their world and this is their privacy and so when you go into Big Brother, you are giving up your privacy to the rest of the world. And is that what you want to do? And I was like, oh, I actually flash forward to like 15 years later. This idea of safeguarding your privacy has become like the most precious thing because of how ubiquitous information can be about yourself mm. because of social media. And that, that's part of the reasons why I've got a slight resistance to like Instagram and even Facebook is that because this idea of like having privacy still feels quite sacred to me because that psychologist told me that in 2009 when I was auditioning for Big Brother, <laughs> like some kind of prophecy into the future. Look at that. I um, currently imagine you're on BBC Asian Network or like doing a couple more, like you probably would have gone on Bake Off too then you would have had actual experience to write for Nadia's play <laughs> absolutely but like it it, it, it wanes really quick though yeah. you know Big Brother like six months to a year later you just that person was on Big Brother and then it's it's really difficult to then restart a, a career and be taken seriously intrigued to know going back to your practice you you started because for me the lines were dizzy just looking at some of your work did you start acting first then you went into writing and I couldn't find a reason or kind of like a segue for writing or is it the standard which is I couldn't find roles so therefore I created oh no so both of them happened simultaneously actually so I actually did A-level English and A-level drama together okay um, so back when I was at sixth form I kind of I was going to either go into one of those two professions, but I wasn't quite sure which one. Um, and then I ended up going into architecture at that point in time. Even whilst I was at university, um, I did both things. So like I, I was writing at university as well as like yes, being yeah. in place. And in, even in my final year at Cambridge, I did the Royal Court Young Writers Programme. And then literally... So this is how this is how bonkers the whole story is. So I did three years at, at Cambridge, graduated on the 25th of June. The next day, I uh, had an audition for a five-part BBC drama in Leeds, and I'd got it. And so suddenly I was like, oh, am I an architect? Am I not an architect? Then having a five-part drama with the BBC. So yeah, so I think the writing actually happened first, because I was always a writer, and that's partly why I studied architecture, because 60% was theory-based, and you had to do a dissertation and things like that, so I always got to practice my my craft, albeit in a different genre of being a writer. Do you, because <clears throat> I know um, in one of your interviews, you talk about the fact, which is my goal as well, to be a showrunner at the end, to kind of have that, and you're going through the, the flow of the industry in regards to experimentation and growth of writing and other things. Do you ever see the likes of let's let's talk about like Phoebe Waller-Bridge or Michaela Cole in the UK or like Aziz Ansari Mindy Kaling in US do you ever see that being the path or do you see them very being distinct so in terms of like creating a show putting yourself in it writing co-directing and doing that or do you see yourself acting completely for separate things and then writing for separate things yeah I've rarely been in the things that I've made I always have like a bit part or like you know a Quentin Tarantino where he does like you know he, he's an extra or he's there in the background yeah I've pretty much on that with most of my work but I wouldn't I don't necessarily like to be in the things that I've made as a writer which is really bizarre I like those two things to be divorced and you know the, the last couple of things that I've written the last the last two short films that I've made one for the BFI and one for Channel 4 
have pretty much been me as a character, but I've kind of completely removed myself in that I'm not in it because yeah. it's, it's, it's not me that's in it. It's a fictionalized version of me. Yeah. And therefore we can allow an actor to embody that fictionalized version of me. Got it. Are you there um, present on set to give like notes or pointers or you very much let the director do it? Because there are some writers oh, no. who really want to. Yeah, no, I'm there. So I'm usually an exec or a producer on the things that I make. Um, and that includes my radio stuff as well. Um, and the theater stuff is easier. But uh, yeah, so the last two things I was, I was a producer and I was an exec just to give me the kind of overall overarching kind of view on that piece of work and yes the aim is to work up to be a showrunner because often as a showrunner you're an exec as well as well as the kind of script writer yes. um, and that might be happening very soon <laughs> <laughs> you know I find it interesting whenever you talk about being a showrunner with theatre people they in- instinctively like disengage they're like no we rather have people who wouldn't want to be in theatre which Actually, I'm going to talk about two seconds, uh, two more questions, and then we have to do quick rounds of certain questions. I'm intrigued to know form, because you've experimented with form a lot, I feel. And even in terms of mediums, you've worked for digital work, you've worked for radio, accessibility, if we talk about your work, how accessible your work is to like actual plays. So I'm intrigued to know how the challenges and the joyfulness of those things And the second thing that I'm always intrigued to know is what continues to inspire or be that burning desire or that fuel that continues going. And I found this really wonderful thing that you said. The thing that inspires me creatively is unearthing the beauty that is found in everyday grit of our lives. Through the use of fiction as a writer and on stage, stories can be used to illuminate new ways and perspectives on how we live and ways to create dialogue to delve into deeper realms of the human heart. Again, mechanics mechanics such an architecture of words (laughs) so yes so one is form and the other is kind of like that burning fuel yeah let's talk about form because for me it was actually at a bbc writers room event where the person said that as a writer going forward it's really important now to be able to be a portfolio writer Mm. and that means to be able to practice your craft in many different genres and i was like oh hey that takes a lot of time and also it takes a lot of skill because the skill to be a playwright is different to be a radio dramatist, to being a screenwriter, to being a, uh, what else, screen, radio, stage. Well, those three things. No, but you've and, done digital. You've done VR now. And VR, and yeah. VR, absolutely. And I was like, okay, so if I want to be a portfolio writer, I've got to be able to practice my craft in those different things get commissions in those three different things, it's three different genres, and also, you know, make work that is really good. And so I pretty much spent the first, like, couple of years of my career practicing in different genres and trying to work out the the, the kind of craft of, of that genre. Mm. And I've been really, really super, super fortunate in that my first commission was in, like, immersive installation theatre, and then I kind of gradually moved on to radio drama, and then I kind of moved on to stage, like pure, like pure stage, stagecraft plays, and then I and then I've kind of really beautifully transitioned into writing for screen. Mm-hmm. Um, the objective when I first started off as a writer was to kind of end up in screen in some shape or form. I wasn't quite sure whether it was going to be film, television, but I knew that would be kind of the end point. I also knew that if I was able to kind of nurture my craft in various different genres, I would never get bored as a writer, and it would also mean that you know it, I, I would all constantly have. Different different kind of forms to work in as well because you know I utmost respect those writers who are just solely playwrights 
who only write for stage yeah. and, and that's the medium that they love and they flourish in. But for me, um, I get really bored really easily. And it's the reason why I've got really short attention spans and I can't read novels and I can't do what? things that take and because I just I just don't have the attention span to kind of contain myself for such a long amount of time. Yeah. And so why I love things like poetry. I love watching films, you know. I, I I love I love music because it's it's all in the short form medium, and it's kind of my career has been a bit like that as well, like trying to work in the short form medium and then kind of move on to the next medium. And so that's going to be interesting when you do film, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which takes about five years to make a single film. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I'm I'm totally I'm really fortunate to be in a position now where I've got a commission in all those three different mediums, and I'm like, wow, like. I've kind of struck gold in in the sense that the master plan has kind of worked out, mm. um, and 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 I've got some really juicy commissions in all the different mediums that I've been practicing in, and now it's finally paying off. And uh, the burning desire for me, being a writer, the burning desire comes from being who I am, right? And uh, people seeing a version of who we are as like South Asian, British, Bangladeshi people from Bradford, all of those kind of things. And the desire to be a writer comes from the power, the superpower that you have in order to rewrite those preconceptions and to kind of reform a new version of who you are and how people see you. So let's take Bradford as an example, right? So it's got this really horrific like impression or representation of a city that's kind of downtrodden and it's a bit of a druggy den hole and it's kind of full of like people who have either got gout or obese and but no, look at me, right? I don't look like any of those things. Are you, in Bradford? Are you in Bradford right now? <laughs> I am, yeah, yeah. I'm absolutely in Bradford right now. So I live in in a place called Solitaire, which is just like four miles out of the centre of Bradford. And kind of, I've lived here all of my life. But it's like, oh, it's such a shame that like, that's the impression that we get of a place. And how can we re reauthor that? Absolutely through fiction. And I... One of my big projects that I worked on recently was a film called Ali and Ava. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a love story about, a, you know, a South Asian man and an older white woman. And it's all shot entirely in Bradford. But it was about the beauty and the joy that kind of I grew up with. And trying to contain that in 90 minutes was just, it was just my favorite piece of work that I've made so far. And, you know, we spent, I spent like two, nearly three years on it. And then it just went to show that you can, you can have a story that's set in a city like this. And that's not about, you know, pedophiles and terrorists and suicide bombers and honor killings, but it can just be about love, joy and and, and music. And and I'm really glad that it, it, it kind of the intention that we went into making the film uh, was was kind of reflected in the way it was received. You know, it opened at Cannes, London Film Festival, four or five star reviews around the world. It's on Netflix. I was like, yes, job done. You can make stories about people from those kind of worlds yeah. and, and kind of reauthor those preconceptions and that be received, you know, with massive critical acclaim. Quick answer before we jump into some quick fire rounds and things like that. Just talking to you, you have a very optimistic and uplifting sort of um, air about you. And I'm sure there are moments that there are troubling that are not like that, like not darker days, let's say, but like challenging days. Intrigued to know where this perspective comes from, especially like being in the industry. And I see so many creatives or like just a general in life people who are like kind of like really struggling and challenging to see beyond perspective that they have because that is all that they see where does that come from Do you know part I, 
I'd say that mainly comes from not being in London. <laughs> and I'm not, not and, I, and I don't say this because I'm not anti-London at all. I made a conscious choice to be in a place where I would be happy, right? Yeah. Happy in terms of like financially, but it's not too expensive to be. Uh, happy in terms of like uh, the environment around me, the kind of natural beauty. Happy in terms of like my family. Um, and I think there's a lot to say about being an artist and finding and being rooted in something, whether that's family, location, a city, uh, the architecture of a place. Once you're able to be rooted in that place, and I think that's where that's where then you're allowed to your your kind of creative soul is allowed to pour. And I've met I meet too many artists who are like downtrodden and 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 just unhappy in what they're doing. And I think the moment you feel unhappy in the thing that you're doing, it means that you should be doing something else. And so what I've learned is that I spent so long trying to get to this place, like all I can give out now is kind of joy and 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 passion because I've wanted this for so long. And yes, it's difficult. And yes, you know, sometimes you have a week to turn around a deadline for a television show. But it's like that's great. That's yeah. the thing that like turns my creative juices running and and why would i ever want to like stop that from happening because the moment i stop that from happening i might as well just go back to being an architect and like sit in, in front of a computer for 20 hours a day all right let's do some quick fire round questions before we turn into game interestingly what we're just touching up on is going to be the other question um you very eloquently use the word rooted i say what makes somebody convicted in their path are the three pillars i say confidence and grit whether that comes from within or whether that comes from nurture uh faith spirituality or belief that's the second uh, pillar so you could be religious you could just be spiritual whatever it is and the third is support whether that is financial support whether that is emotional support whatever it is however you interpret that and I feel without those three pillars, it's very difficult to be convicted in your path and continuously, let's say, spread joy. If you didn't have those things, would you still continue to be the person that you are today and do the things that you're doing? So like, let's take the commissions. You you still are struggling to get commission. You maybe just have had one play. Your family's not supportive. You're living in London. You're not living in Bradford. What, what would your outlooks be? Uh, I mean, if I was in that position whereby the three pillars of my life were were, were kind of falling apart, I would seriously reevaluate the thing that I'm doing and I would find the thing that would actually make me happy. There is not enough time in this life to spend it being unhappy and therefore you know if 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 i don't have uh, a strong uh, source of income I, I will find a job that will just give me a strong source of income in order to then support that 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 pillar of my life mm. if like i haven't spoken to my family in ages i will make the concerted effort to kind of rebuild those relationships if creatively i'm being starved um i will find another avenue to kind of allow my creativity to kind of flow. Mm. So that's part of the reason why, you know, back in 2011, you know, all those three pillars had kind of completely collapsed for me. I was broke, I was signing on, and I was living with my family, and I was miserable. And 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 it's it's amazing to see that what I did at that point is that I took some agency for my life. Mm. So, you know, I, I decided to retrain. So instead of the acting, I retrained and I did the master's and, you know, helped kind of rebuild those skills. I, I then got a job that was flexible enough to kind of support me rather than having to sign on. And then, I you know, I was in a relationship as well. Um, so then I had that kind of emotional support. And those three things kept me going and helped build those families 
foundations to kind of begin to kind of rebuild my career uh, as a writer. Nice. Wisdom. Wisdom. All right. Um, Quickly, you got to answer quickly. Like, literally, I know these are deep questions, but you got to answer quickly. Authenticity versus substance of the story. Interested to know your perspective, which is, let's say, if the role calls or the story calls for a Bengali transgender person to play that role, what takes precedence? The story or representation of having a Bengali trans person? I know it's a complex question, but what would be your quick and short response to it? Compromise. It's about making a compromise. It's about making artistic choices that will compromise both those things. Because being in the industry, I know how probably how very little uh, representation re- representation there, there is of like Muslim transgender characters, but also how very little pool there are of possibly Muslim or Bangladeshi transgender performers. Um, so yeah, it's about a balance. Mm. Um, so you might not be able to fulfill all of those things, but if some of those things are fulfilled, then that's at least some way in representing that character those stories authentically. I wanted to challenge because recently I have been having lots of conversations around South Asian representations and then within that like regional representations so like Malayalis or like Bengali or the Pakistanis or Indians and then within India like Rajput, Gujarati, Sindhi and things like that. I feel like now like getting into the South Asian entertainment sectors of like the theatre world there's a lot there's a lot out there. Do you still feel like there isn't enough? Do you know what? I still still feel there is isn't like with South Asian representation, it's such a humongous umbrella. Still leaving, like the Bengalis are still being left behind in terms of like, there hasn't been in the past 10, 15 years, you know, as far as I've been conscious in terms of like television drama output, yeah. like a, a British Bangladeshi family on screen. Like there just hasn't. And I'm like, hang on a second, Bengalis or people from the Bengal region were actually one of the first to come to this country in 1780. So I'm like, hang on, if we were the first here, why are we being left behind in terms of representation, right? <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. It's it's astounding. I agree with you, but I think like uh, another time, another time. Quick questions, bloody hell. Peaks and valleys. Oh wait, what words of wisdom would you give to your mirror self today? If you looked in the mirror right now, what words of wisdom would you give to your mirror self? Good skincare routine. Uh, and the next question is, what is your skincare routine? What three things would you advise? Uh, don't smoke. Always have a serum before you moisturize. Oh, um, and then finally, always go for ninety-nine point nine percent natural products or organic. I was gonna say know your skin type because I feel like people don't know their skin type. What's your favorite part of the job of being an artist and a multidisciplinary artist? Let's say favorite part of the job is that moment where you get the contract through to say you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> Last week I interviewed somebody and they were like money and I was like, fair. No, it's not even the money. It's just just having the job. <laughs> it's the best part of the job. <laughs> That's true. Um, th- thoughts on the South Asian entertainment sector and the industry at large. One thing it could do with and one thing it could do without. It could do with more execs and commissioners in like at the top of 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 the food chain. Um, one thing it do, it could do without is lazy stereotyping. Stop it, <laughs> stop it, man! Like we're not we're not all the same. Like the diversity, the kind of difference. That's what we need to embrace. Three things: somebody you something or uh like imparted wisdom you wish somebody would have told you, and let's say throughout your experience that you have experienced that you would like to impart on somebody else. Have the courage to yeah. say no. Embrace the rejection, and finally remember the joy. Oh, I'm waiting for a, I'm waiting for a philosophical book from you. I really <laughs> am. 
I really need this. I really need this. Uh, but before we move on to games, I'm going to ask you this lovely little question, which I ask everybody, peaks and valleys. A peak is a high point of your personal or professional life. What was it? What lesson you learned from it? A valley is a low point of your personal or professional life. What was it? What lesson you learned from it? I feel like we've kind of touched up on this already. But if you feel like there's something else and you don't want to say the exact situation, you can be like in 2010, well, 2011, you said it was a dark time and it taught me this yeah let's go for a peak first the peak actually was seeing my mom and dad my mom in her burqa my dad in his Slovak kameez sat and uh stand stand with me for my graduation picture at cambridge they'd never been before it was the first time they'd ever been as well and just seeing them in this world which is so alien because both of them were illiterate well my Mom and my dad was literate because he no longer exists. Um, but both of them couldn't read or write in either English or Bengali. So it was just such an amazing juxtaposition of world and universe seeing those two things come together. Yeah, that 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 graduation picture was definitely the peak of, of my life. <laughs> What it taught me is that, like, embrace the difference, embrace the difference, and also never be afraid to go beyond what is expected of you. Because I say that because when I was applying to university, my teacher said to me, don't apply to Cambridge. Like, I should apply somewhere else like Leicester because um, because of being from a South Asian, lower working class, like, background. You know, it, she advised me that I wouldn't feel happy or comfortable there. And I'm really glad I did. And yeah. I'm really glad I kind of go, went against her advice and I applied and I did it. And I and I completely, uh, it completely re reauthored my kind of perspective in life. Um, so, yeah, dare to go against <laughs> advice. Against the grain and the valley. Uh, the valley would be yes, 2011. Oh my gosh! Imagine having graduated from one of the best universities in the world to then living at home with your parents, signing on, being unemployed, being a bit chubby. Is there anything wrong with chubby? No, I know, but like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say you come from ten siblings and a Bengali household. I expect you to have meat. <laughs> But I was like, yeah, that was definitely a low point. But you know, you have to, you have to be able to, you have to be able to wander through the valley in order to eventually get to, you know, the top of the to the top of the peak. So uh, uh, uh. without it, you know, <laughs> wisdom dropped. All right, let's go into the quick games. The games are called Super Child Play with Rye. And we're gonna have three quick sections on it. Quick, the answer is like quick. Okay, you gotta be quick. So first section is called If I Was. So if I was to say to you, if you were a movie, what would the original title of that movie be? Go. Kamal. Kamal. Okay, by the way, it's such an interesting fact about your spotlight name. I changed mine as well. Yours is Kamal Hussain, isn't it? You changed it to Kamal Khan after the uh-huh. architect. I changed mine after watching Harry Potter. <laughs> Um, if uh, who would star in it? Give me three actors: Johnny Depp, controversial. Okay. <laughs> <And> Riz Ahmed. <laughs> okay. And also Tilda Swinton. Oh, that's a good choice. Yeah, give me the. She's got the cheekbones and that really androgynous kind of yes. vibe about her. She does. Logline, go. Give me the logline or the IMDb quick little situation. Boy from Bradford finds a magical horse that transports him to planet Bootylicious. I would like Tilda Swinton to play the brown boy. 
that's okay. <laughs> um, every film now has kind of like a soundtrack or like a title track. What would the title track be entitled, or if you want to sing it, in five, four, three, two, one of Kamal? Got me looking so crazy right now. That's a Beyonce song, but sure, let's go with it. <laughs> um, if you were a drink, what would you be? I'd actually be a, a, a rose water chai, actually. Fab. If you were a food, what cuisine would you be? I would be a, a, a sundae. Fruit. A star fruit. Clothing item. Uh, jumpsuit. Flower or plant? Flower. What flower would you be? Uh, an oriental pink lily. <laughs> what color would you be if you were a color? Green. Forest green. For oh, it's my vibe right now. Have you ever, is the next session, have you ever hooked up with a fellow artist or admirer? Oh, yeah. Have you ever flirted to get ahead? Oh, yeah, you have to. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Why don't people get this present? <laughs> Have you ever joined the Mile High Club or had, let's just say, intimate situations in public? No. Wow. Saint-like. Have you ever peed while swimming? I can't swim. <laughs> Have you forgotten the words and made it up on the spot? Shall we say that again? Have you forgotten words and made it up on spot? Always. Have you eaten within a couple of seconds of something dropping on the floor or in the bin? Oh, uh, off the floor, yeah. What would you rather, cookies or cake? Cake. What would you rather, rich or fame? Rich. What would you rather, critical acclaim or win awards? Win awards. What would you rather, Netflix or Prime? Netflix. Fairy tales, mythological tales or real life stories? Real life stories. Dogs or cats? Cats. World peace or equality? Equality. All right, this next section is called Finish the Line, where I'm going to pay two pieces of your work and you have to finish the next line. All right? I'll cancel it right now. And have you got any rooms left? Three or ten. No, I was going to drive, but... I'm afraid all our rooms are taken, sir. All right, what's the next line? But we do have the Bramham Suite available. Wow. But we do have the Bramham Suite, if you're interested. Oh! Wow. That was really good. Oh my gosh, that was from like 10 years ago as well. That is really good. That is really good. All right, this is a love story in Leeds. Same time, what has got to offer the city is this really rich and vibrant, um, basically, lane of... of, of off, off, off. Beautiful things. <laughs> Let's see. And, and people and, and scent, um, you know, cuisines. Um, and cuisines. Cuisine. Always food. <laughs> it's okay, because there's a lot of food things in there. All right. The next section is called Can You Improv Though? Choose a thing that you would like to create the world of. I'm going to give you three trigger words and you have 30 seconds to pitch either to me a film, okay, or create a short monologue. What would you like to? Pitch me a play or film or a TV series in 30 seconds from the three trigger words or create a monologue? Uh, let's go with uh, a film. A film. Okay, write down these three words. You're going to pitch me in 30 seconds and include these words in your pitch. Shivers. Yeah. Imarti, as in like Jalebi, Amarti, oh. yeah, and scent, okay? In five, four, three, two, 30 seconds. Okay, so this is a film called The uh, the Everlasting Jalebi, um, and it's a story about this giant sticky sweet that everyone falls in love with. Um, but if you have too much of it, it, it causes you to shiver and to die. Um, the only antidote to surviving is the scent of an That's oriental it. lily. And uh, and they find the antidote and everybody's happy ever after. <laughs> 
Um, I must, uh, I, I'm an expensive person who has lots of money. I must say, I would like a treatment next. I was intrigued by the concept. I don't know who your audience is. I will say that, but I was intrigued by it. It pickled my tickle. I would like, <laughs> I would like to have a treatment next. And we're going to end with two wonderful things which are very contradicting to each other. We all love a rant. We're going to get to do a 30 second rant. However, the condition of that rant is you have to start the rant with the words bitch don't or end with the words bitch don't. Do you feel like you have something to rant about? Uh, yeah. All right. Your 30 seconds starts now. Bitch don't look at me and think I'm some poor scratty like trash from Bradford. I'm wearing a silk scarf right now from Liberty's. I mean, that says a lot, but at the same time, doesn't make me a wanker, doesn't make me a posh twat. It just makes me who I am, a British Bangladeshi working class writer who just happened to go to Cambridge. And here he is trying to share his beauty with the rest of the world. Thank oh, you. oh, with time to spare. And then the last question before I leave you is, I'm obsessed with joyfulness this year and I want to spread joyfulness. So I ask of you this one thing. What is one thing that makes you feel joyful? And what is one thing that you do for other people that makes them feel joyful? One thing I like to do, because I have a big family, is to give gifts. Uh, and I'm, I'm known as the one who's got like the best like selection or best uh, birthday gifts. So that I, I like to give material joy uh, as well as... Uh, a kind of uh, a, along with something like that, that's handmade as well. So I often give a present with like a handmade card or like a present with some like homemade cookies or cake or something. So I like to give like material joy as well as joy for the soul as well. Um, things and what was the other question? Things what that bring is, joy what, to me. What is one thing that you do for yourself or somebody does for you that makes you feel joyful? Having a good perfume library gives me so much joy. Sorry, say that one more time. A good perfume library. Oh. Scent brings me immense joy. Um, and there is some correlation between like scents and joy and, and pheromones and all those kind of things. But yeah, having a good fragrance brings me lots and lots of joy. Oh, 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 oh. I should have asked that. That used to be a question as well. If you were a scent, what scent would you be? Oh, it'd be like rose, lily and, and, and frankincense. Frank, oh, it's a very expensive taste there. This is a 200 upwards scent that, you know, I'm I'm intrigued to buy. Um, also, <laughs> last question, which I had before you was, what did you prefer, short hair, long hair? I liked you with long hair, but I also like short hair. And I get bored as well. I like switching it up. Well, do you know the truth is, so I had a single scene in Ali and Ava. Yeah. Like, I had to cut all of my hair off for that film. Oh, yeah, and I've never grown it since, and that was 2019. Beard, would you do, or not? no beard or stash ever? Oh, look, I, I really, I, I, I have this really pathetic bit around here, and I envy a really good beard. I'm looking at your beard right now thinking, oh my gosh, how good would that look with a really big, with a juicy flick, and like, oh. You gotta grow it. You just gotta let it grow. Just let it grow. Honest, look, look, at look, there is, it's, it's not even worth it. it. I'd say in about another 10 years' time, no, it's, technology has advanced too much. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be fine. I've even tried derma rolling in order to no. waken up the follicles around my face. But what, what, instead of having, I started getting like hairy cheekbones. I was like, nah, derma but, rolling is not giving, it's not doing the right thing. But there's something in Ayurveda or like uh, homeopathic things about garlic, like increasing your intake of garlic or like rubbing garlic. I've not tried garlic. 
I'd research into it, but like, yeah, when I was having, cause when I shaved, I was having like little patches and I used to rub garlic on it and it would be fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Next time you see me, I'll have a beard juicier than yours. <laughs> hey, you can try. I'm half Turkish as well, so I don't think that's possible, but go for it. Well, everyone, that brings us to an end and I hope you enjoyed that. I want to say a massive thank you to the guest for their time. All of the information about the guest, myself and the show will be listed in the bio. Make sure to follow, share, comment and subscribe. Show us all some love because isn't that what we want at the end of the day? Some love. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow and the people that are on here. Thank you again. And as I always say, breathe in, breathe out. Now must go, which means now I must go. I own that. That is copyrighted and I will sue. <laughs> Joking. Have a great one and stay curious till next time.